Good afternoon and welcome everybody to our 21st episode of Trading Card Therapy. I'm your doctor. Hopefully you've had a good time on our journey so far, as now I'm old enough to drink. So with that being said, we're going to move right into our 21st episode. Recently on my other podcast called Layton's Loft, you can find me on Wednesdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, every Wednesday with my co-host Lou. We talk about anything from the hobby to uh, things going on at Vintage Breaks to things going on with my son Crosby and everything and anything in between. So we sincerely appreciate you joining us. Nice to be back in the chair. It's been a tumultuous uh, couple weeks here. So today we're going to start first with my appearance the other day on Darren Ravel's The Buyer's Market Show, sponsored by eBay. Darren is not only a friend of mine, he is a brilliant mind. He's very passionate about cards, tickets, sports, food, and a lot of other things in between. Uh, very, very good at marketing himself. And I was extremely grateful and humbled when he asked me to be his first guest on season two of The Buyer's Market, which, like I said, is sponsored by eBay. When you think about it, eBay is this, you know, gigantic, um, you know, conglomerate uh, or, or, you know, gigantic corporation made up of lots of money and people. And somehow they figured out that Darren Ravel is aiding what they're trying to accomplish in the collectibles category. So, I, you know, I found the whole thing fascinating. Uh, you know, he is supposedly trying to hook myself up with eBay. And we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll have my own show with them. So it'd be certainly uh, kind of cool. But this particular episode of The Buyer's Market, the reason why he had me on was to talk about the recent, if you will, very unsettled card market, which is a little bit different than it was six or 12 months ago when everything was shooting up like a hockey stick. And then in particular, talking about vintage versus modern. And so that's what we're going to start off uh, with today uh, on our 21st show uh, of Trading Card Therapy. And the reason why I choose that is because it was relevant the other day, Darren actually has, I think, 30 or 40 or 50,000 views on that episode alone. It hasn't even been a week. Uh, certainly does not have the reach that I do. But that being said, I got some texts and messages, JK, after the show. So that's how I knew I made an impact. People were like, hey, you got to invest in some better lighting or this or that. So, you know, I knew they were watching. Um, but point being is, is that when you look at, you know, modern cards in the market, whether it be it's, you know, base rookies and your speculation on – you know, if that player, that young player is going to develop into a big superstar and maybe winning championships and things of that nature. Of course, sometimes you don't even have to wait that long. For example, in baseball, a lot of times, if you pick your spots right, you can buy folks uh, when they're in the, in the minor leagues and just knowing they're going to make the majors when they get called up, Matt, you know, they're not necessarily going to be great, but that just that, that, that act of that next level is a little bit of a push in the spike of the card. So all that stuff is really fun. And if you have the time to absorb the information, pay attention to a particular sport, and then become an expert, I have no doubt that you can make money. But I'm going to be very clear here. When I started collecting baseball cards when I was, oh, I don't even know, seven or eight years old, certainly the furthest thing from my mind was making money. And I'm very fortunate and grateful um, and thankful to be in a position that I do what I enjoy and I'm very passionate about for a living. But it didn't happen overnight. And it certainly didn't happen by accident. And so what I mean is if you're truly just getting into cards to make money, there might be easier ways to make money than buying modern cards. You might say like, well, that's crazy because guys are on the field. I could pay attention. Sure. But when you're sleeping, if Kyler Murray snaps his wrist 
you can't sell early. He snaps his wrist, he's out, things go down. And then all of a sudden, I've heard this all the time. Well, you cost average, you buy more. With what, your unlimited bankroll? Like, I don't have an unlimited bankroll. I got a few, a few shekels, but you have to be responsible. So vintage, albeit maybe not as sexy to some, what I was trying to do on Darren's show was talk about it from the macroist, you know, I don't even know if that's the word, but really just from the macro level of not the people who are already in the hobby, but for those, like imagine, you know, it's Game of Thrones and winter's coming, right? So like when winter was coming, there was a bunch of people already there. But the way that the, the Game of Thrones team side won was all the people that were coming from over here. That's what I'm talking about. So what I mean is, as the more people are that are coming into the hobby, generally, it doesn't matter what it is in the world. Think about it. It could be wine. It could be food. It could be a snowblower for the terrible Northeast winters. Generally, people covet the fucking best. It doesn't even matter what it is. It could be going out to a restaurant, buying a shovel for your house. What shingles do you want to put on it? What paper do you want? You want the heavier, you know, that's going to print better. People generally covet the best. So if you think about it logically, people that are coming in new to the space, even if they're super smart, acutely aware of the market and the up and down trends of what's going on, they may look at modern as the flashier, sexier, if you will, play and investment because it's right in front of their eyes to be seen, to be participated in. And it does make a lot of sense, but just understand that you could do just as well, if maybe not even better, by buying vintage, uh, doing it prudently, um, making sure that you don't get hung up emotionally, you know, in auctions. And I understand that, for example, from my standpoint, buying professionally for Just Collect or even for vintage breaks when I'm able to, to buy wax. You might call it, I have a house edge. But my house edge is something I've paid an incredible amount of money for to get 25, 30,000 views organically on our website to justcollect.com so on and so forth. So to kind of bring everything back, if you think about if you only have $10 or $25 or $100, something that's a small budget, you might think like, oh, well, obviously I can't buy anything substantial. So why am I going to, you know, waste my time educating myself about vintage cards? I'm just going to try to buy some modern rookies and hope for the best. But then all of a sudden fractional shares came along. And there are some folks, myself included, that started making two, three, four, and five X. Yes, albeit on small amounts of money, meaning I bought $500 or $1,000 of shares at $12. And when the buyout happened, I got 27. No, I didn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. But all of a sudden, 10 bucks becomes 20. 20 bucks becomes 50 bucks. So on and so forth. And so if you want to try to avoid risk and you're not married to the folks have to be on the field in terms of investment. There's a lot of other ways in terms of penetrating and participating in the card market as far as, you know, not being hung up or tied to modern because you think you're not a vintage expert. You don't know enough. You don't have a huge budget. I mean, if I told you that you can buy, I don't know, a number of Mickey Mantle cards for $200 or less from the late 1950s or 60s, many people outside of the industry, outside of the industry, are going to say, but like, why or how? That's not, doesn't make sense. Well, because of condition, and they did make a lot, but, you know, over time, you know, a VG 59 Mantle All-Star, which is now 150 bucks, thing used to be 50 bucks. So even the, 
the lowest level of vintage tends to trend up over time. Meaning, simply put, that as all of these new entrants come into the market, some will ultimately start with modern and never leave. Some will start with modern and they will graduate to a little bit of vintage. And a little bit of vintage means 80s and 90s. Some will start with modern and they will look back and say, wow, what's the Mona Lisa of cards? Those are the folks who are going to take a moment to reflect. Maybe they did get their hands dirty and they lost a few shekels. They made a few shekels, um, you know, participating in the modern market. But ultimately, they're going to see that the tried and true long-term best investment is the Babe Ruths, the Ty Cobbs, basically the biggest names of the hobby that no matter what happens to sport, right, respectively, baseball, football, there's rumors, what, football might not be around in 50 years. Who knows? But these are all-time greats that will never have um, the reputation tarnished. And it's actually a lot of fun to learn about the history of not just the game, but those respective players versus... I don't know. I mean, and I love watching Luca. I do. I think he's a really enjoyable basketball player. But, like, I don't need to read articles on Luca anymore. You know, if I want to know about him, sure, I guess I could read more. But, like, I've read enough. Whereas I'm fascinated to, like, learn about Ruth and Gehrig's barnstorming tour in the 1920s. Like, did you folks know about that? And I believe me, I'm no expert. But I do know that our country, our world, was in a different time and a different place. So... I uh, appreciate Tyler's comment. Absolutely. Anytime Ken Burns, anything having to do with baseball is on PBS, I'll put it on background. And my family thinks I'm crazy because I've seen it before. But, you know, I maybe saw it before five years ago, but I didn't know as much about the game and the different players that were participating in it. So um, do yourself a favor. Check out the Buyer's Market show every week. Check out Darren Ravel on Twitter. You'll be able to find the show from there. With that, I'm going to move on to the amazing – 1948 Leaf, fresh to the hobby baseball collection that I recently had the good fortune to purchase out of Sacramento, California. And we're going to talk about that in just one minute. But before we do, so you see here, I'm joined by a special guest. It is a 1951 Bowman, Mickey Mantle rookie, graded PSA 3. This card is the highlight, by the way, it's a gorgeous 3. This card is the highlight of our 1951 Bowman baseball set break that is currently up for sale on our website at vintagebreaks.com. You have a Willie Mays rookie. You have the Teddy ball game in there. Lots of other stars, Hall of Famers. We're now under 100 spots left in that break. Today, in a new style and to have some fun, we're going to reveal, so for those who are watching, please remember this, we're going to reveal a phrase when this phrase is said later on during our Vintage Breaks live stream today on YouTube, where you can find us at youtube.com slash vintage breaks, you're going to win a free spot in this 1951 Bowman baseball set break. So it costs $195 per spot. You'll have a chance to take that and turn that into a 1951 Bowman Mickey Mantle rookie, created PSA 3 or a Willie Mays rookie, or like I said, many other Hall of Famers uh, in that set. And today, courtesy of Trading Card Therapy and Vintage Breaks, we're going to give you a free chance to win a spot in that break today. So without further ado, the phrase is as follows. Grape Swedish Fish. And whenever you hear that um, request later on during today's live stream on Vintage Breaks, 
the first person to type into the chat that we identify on our end. So keep in mind, if you see it on your end first, we're only going to do it based on what we see on ours. But whoever is the first to type in the three words, grape, Swedish fish, is going to win a free 1951 Bowman set spot. Imagine you could win a Mickey Mantle rookie graded PSA 3 courtesy of Trading Card Therapy and Vintage Breaks today. So it's always, always pays to tune in to Trading Card Therapy. And you can listen to our show if you're not fortunate enough to join us live. We usually drop our show on Fridays, wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and all that good stuff. So we are now going to move on to the 1948 Leaf baseball collection that I was able to purchase in California very recently from Sacramento. And it was a heck of a turnaround. We were having trouble figuring out how to get to Sacramento directly from the Northeast. Uh, for those of you who live in the Northeast, I've never visited Sacramento before. I haven't had a reason to, but I've flown to LA a lot and there's tons of flights to LA. So I'm thinking like, there's of course going to be direct flights to Sacramento, but there wasn't. And in fact, there was only one per day, unless you're flying private, which I have not reached that point in life. So I um, found a direct flight to go out to Sacramento. Uh, it was about 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the evening, uh, two Thursdays ago. And get in about 10.30. We have the appointment 7.30 in the morning. David texts me at about 7 o'clock in the morning that he is there and ready and looking forward to meeting me as well as going through the collection. I needed a little bit more time, you know, take care of my, my morning bathroom, you know, situation, if you will, as well as breakfast and all that good stuff. So David's there and you just, you know, you just kind of knew, like, this is the kind of guy that I was looking forward to meeting after traveling across the country, meaning he was very welcoming. He didn't take himself too seriously. He knew what he had was good. He didn't know how good. He wanted an expert, you know, to tell him what he had. And to be fair, for those who don't know, me from Just Collect. You can check me out on justcollect.com. But I've been buying and selling vintage baseball cards to the tune of uh, north of $50 million in my career, uh, you know, over the last 20 years. And so when it comes to collections such as the one I went to go see in Sacramento, um, you know, I very much wanted to have David ship it. However, people don't always do what you want. And so you have to decide candidly, you know, how much you want that said collection and can you, let's say, make a bigger trip of it? And I had a lot going on, so I wasn't able to do that. But I thought that with the content of what he had, we also gave David estimates and he seemed to be reasonable on the estimates that we gave him as far as um, getting the images beforehand. And so we had a spreadsheet, we talked turkey, and even though, you know, nothing was guaranteed when we went out there, we had a lot more going for us than just a let's say, blind, you know, first-time cold business meeting. And for those of you who tuned into Layton's Loft the other day, you were able to hear some of this story. But something that was fascinating is, you know, he doesn't know me. He has no idea if we're going to reach a deal. Before we even take out the cards, he just said, Layton, you know, I know we're going to tight time frame. And if you'd like, I'm happy to drive you to the airport after you know, even if it doesn't work out, and I'm thinking like, wow, he's playing poker with me. Like, doesn't work out. Like, David, I flew to California. It doesn't work out. What are you talking about? 
And that's kind of what I said to him. You know, that's meaning like what I just said aloud. I certainly didn't say it in the same way, but but in similar fashion. I joke with him. I said, David, I fully intend to be leaving with these cards. You know, I hope to pay you for them. If I have to take them, I will. I'll hit you over the head and we'll see how far I get. But all kidding aside, uh, he did appreciate that, of course, I was enthusiastic about the collection. And before we got into it, he told me he lives on 27 acres out in Sacramento. He's originally from Minnesota. So shout out to Chef uh, and Ryan. We have se- several others from our community that are from Minnesota. Um, and, uh, you know, he had told me a little bit about his family history. And in particular, these cards, um, he does not believe they were played with very much. And in fact, uh, in particular with the Jackie Robinson cards, he says he doesn't remember for sure. You know, obviously some of the details can be, excuse me, obscured or just, you know, lost through time because, you know, whether it be someone's not alive anymore, they're not well enough to remember or just, you know, I don't remember what I ate yesterday. He was explaining to me that he believed in general, the cards were not played with, you know, i.e. handled. Also, the, you know, his his mother, uh, you know, who was in charge of, like, these kinds of things in the house, you know, I can't speak for anyone else out there, but, like, when Crosby plays with his toys, other than if we're trying to clean up for family, like, you know, the toys kind of get left out. We do the best we can, but, you know, we're only human. He was making it seem like whether it be it was baseball cards, you know, marbles, comic books, whatever they would look at or, or handle, can you imagine having a mother stand over you that would meticulously take care of each and every artifact that you were dealing with as a child? I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. So he was explaining to me that, uh, make no mistake about it, this will be in our blog. I'm going to try to do a longer interview with David uh, for the full story on this collection, which will be at blog.justcollect.com. David swears he, well, first off, it is a shame um, that, his uncle, who the cards actually belonged to, um, passed away at a young age. And so he remembers in particular, or so he says, that he thinks the reason why the Jackie Robinsons might be in a little bit better condition than the rest of the collection. And there, for those of you who do not know, we bought a collection with approximately 60 1948 Leaf baseball cards that are totally fresh to the collecting hobby with three... Jackie Robinson rookie cards. Everything, everything's ungraded. He was very well aware of what PSA is and was. He didn't even want to necessarily forget about ship them to us. He didn't want to ship them to PSA. And what's wild is he drove them to the hotel, no problem. But I take out like a whole stack of card saver ones. He's like, it's a good thing you brought cases. This is before I opened his box. And I said, like, did you, what did you do to the cards? Like, where are they? You know? And he's like, oh, they're all in that box. I'm thinking, like, they're in sandwich bags, they're in plastic, something. He's starting to make me sweat. I flew thousands of miles here for this. If you just ruin these in the last, like, 48 hours, I'm going to be crushed. You know, you can imagine, right? You don't know. I've heard of people, you know, selling boxes of cards before the person comes out to buy it. They're like, I did you a favor. I opened all the packs and I organized all the cards to you. Like, you know what I mean? Hey, I wrote your name on it because it's yours. No, no, please don't touch. So um, anyway, he was explaining to me that, um, you know, during the time which he grew up, um, like many folks, especially during that time period, there was an extreme amount of racism going on, not just in our country, but in his neighborhood. And I believe, as the way he described to me, is that whoever in the family exactly, and this is the part I'll have to clarify, was worried the cards would be either destroyed or smeared or just taken and ruined. Because 
you know, our country was still very much growing into its own as far as forget about just baseball with just life in general, you know, being a human being, which is hard to believe, of course, but is the truth. I'm going to show you off just a few of the cards to start, and then we'll get into some of the Hall of Famers. So as you can see, even just taking a few at random, they're in very nice shape, considering they weren't in any cases or holders. He had them in a loose white box, and each stack of cards he had, 48 Leafs are all one stack. 1948 Magic Photos, all one stack. 1948 Bowman Football, all one stack. And as he called them, landscaping cards, all in one stack. And he's telling me how he got into landscaping and how they're real pretty. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't burst your bu bubble, David. They're not really worth that much. You can hang on to them. So side note, I ended up buying the 48 Leafs and Magic Photos. He's got four or five or six 48 Bowman footballs. For whatever reason, another terrible shape. Thank God they didn't hang out in the same group as the 48 Leafs because I would have been very upset. Um, so he says, you're not interested in the 48 Bowman football? And sometimes, you know, like even though it's worth money, I don't know. I just, I don't want to mess around with it. And then he goes, well, you know, Leighton, if you don't buy it, like, you know, I guess I might just, it might get tossed. I'm like, what? I'm like, please, David, I will give you something for them if you're going to throw them in the garbage. I don't think you should be throwing them in the garbage. Keep them with the landscaping cards and everything will be a-okay. So I'm going to show you a few other of the 48 Leafs. These are just random. I mean, look, this card's beautiful. So you may wonder how we're able to get leads like this. And it's because of a lot of hard work. We developed our website at justcollect.com, giving away a lot of great free information about collecting, about um, grading. And you might say, like, well, wait, why would you give away free information about grading if you're trying to buy cards from people? And it's the same thing I said to David. David, we would buy your collection graded, ungraded, half graded. It doesn't really matter. Um, you know, in some cases we prefer it graded, other cases we prefer it ungraded, but really what the number one thing I'll tell you that we always prefer is to buy the best fresh to the market vintage collections possible. I still like buying regular collections, you know, from our vintage breaks community, from folks in the just collect community, you know, uh, all over the place, but there's just something special about being part of history and being a treasure hunter and uncovering something that, you know, that not just you, but the people that, are around you, not, I mean, in the office, but like, you know, you go to a card show and people are like, wow, that was a super cool, you know, collection you got at a Yonkers. And, um, you know, that's what I like to do for a living. I like to be a professional baseball card treasure hunter. And so I'm living my dream. So without further ado, we're going to go through some of the highlights of the 48 Leaf collection. Now some stars and hall of famers, Ralph Kiner, rookie, Phil Rizzuto. I believe there's three, oh, two. Honus Wagner chewing the big wad of tobacco. Of course, quite the contrast of his card potentially being early, uh, pulled early from production. The Tito six set. And now we're getting into the real cherries of the collection. You know, it's funny because if I bought a 48 Leaf collection and it had a Ted Williams that looked like this, that would undoubtedly be the highlight of most 1948 Leaf baseball collections. However, when you buy a collection like this, it's just one of the highlights. Teddy Ballgame. Babe Ruth. Looks really good. It does have a crease, which is a bummer. But still has the eye appeal of like an XX plus card, but a probably grade VG. And without further ado, we got three different Jackie Robinson rookies. Check out the condition, the centering. I mean, you can see I can't even uh, bring these to get graded yet or have them leave my possession. 
I mean, this thing is like dead nuts. And here's the last Jackie, just gorgeous. So my tip to you, if you're a collector, if you're an aspiring dealer, if you're someone just really likes hunting things down, whatever it is, it could be like James Gottschall, he loves T206s. I know that, you know, Harry likes vintage. I know that Chris Coe is starting to collect photos. Whatever it is, this is how you do it. You go out and you get a domain. And you don't have to advertise anywhere. You just start writing about your passion, whether it be pennants or thumb, you know, uh, um, thumbtacks or marbles or, you know, who, who knows. Um, but if you talk about it, if you share your knowledge with that community, ultimately it's going to trickle down and trickle back to you as far as people asking you, whether it be as the guru, whether it be as the expert or just as a friend who's going to offer you sound advice. And that's what I want to be for you folks here at Trading Card Therapy. So if you ever have a question, as much as I'll want to buy all the fresh collections, I know I'm not going to be able to. My buddy Buster yesterday or two days ago texted me about a Willie Mays rookie, just asked me about budget and price. Whether it be you're buying or selling, whether it be it's fresh or you're buying from an auction, I'm happy to help. Please reach out to me, Leighton, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, at JustCollect.com. Find me on Instagram, Leighton underscore Sheldon. And don't forget, today's phrase to try to win a 1951 Bowman Mickey Mantle rookie is grape Swedish fish. And with that, make sure you tune in because I'm going to start off the Vintage Break Show today. And you know when I do that, it's with heat. With that, we are proud to say this is our 21st episode of Trading Card Therapy. And I'll be having a beer for Trading Card Therapy tonight at the Standard in Milburn if you're looking for me.